Catch them all, Joe. You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life. Welcome into the rebirth of Podcast Boys, aka Touch Em All. I'm Jack Weinberger, here with Jordan Leopold, Alex Horowitz. We got a ton on deck today, no pun intended. World Series underway, game one actually going on right now. We got college football, NFL, a whole slew of things to talk to. And guys, want to just introduce ourselves quickly before uh, we get underway? Uh, I'll start with you, Jordan. Yeah, all right. Hey, guys, I'm Jordan Leopold. Obviously, we used to have a podcast called Touch Em All, but this is the renaissance of the podcast, the rebirth. I'm very excited for this, and yeah, let's let's get it, Alex. Yeah, very, very excited, Jack and Jordan. You know, we had this podcast going around almost two years, a year and a half ago. It's been a while um, since we've been on air, but, you know, very excited to bring it back. Obviously, a lot of ongoings in the sports world now with, you know, the World Series and baseball some NFL, college football, hockey just ended. A lot going on, and you're very excited to jump into it and uh, just talk some sports. And just a bit about ourselves. I'm a senior at Marist College. Alex is a recent Muhlenberg College graduate, and Jordan, a current senior at Muhlenberg. I actually transferred over from, uh, from Muhlenberg. And uh, let's get into it. That's going to do it, guys. Game one of the World Series tonight. Uh, we got the Rays against the Dodgers. And what are your guys? What are your guys' biggest keys to success for both teams? Whoever wants to, yeah, to start us yeah, off. Yeah, I, I can. Oh, you know, I'll, I'll go. Alex, you go for. Al, you go first. Sure. Alex. Yeah. So I think I'll start this one out. So, um, you know, I think one of the big things that people were kind of worried about with the sixteen team playoff is that, you know, you might get a under five hundred team such as the Astros, you know, sneak into the World Series. Thankfully, you know, we ended up getting the two best clubs in the Dodgers and the Rays, which I think is the way it should be. Um, game one is underway now. Um, I really see this series going six or seven games. I think the Dodgers are, you know, pretty much favorites across the country, but the Rays, I just think their pitching depth and their their, um, their lineup, you know, guys like Randy Rosarena, he came out of nowhere. I, to be honest, I didn't even know the guy before the postseason, and he's become a postseason legend. Um, you know, even guys like Kevin Kiermaier, he, he, he's, he's, he's the Rays' season veteran. He's been there for years. Um, you know, guys that are very well respected across the league may not be household, you know, superstar stars like Bellinger, Seager, or Betts, um, but they just have a very well, um, a very well, very well producing lineup from you know top to bottom. That being said, Dodgers are you know one of the one of the best you know offenses in recent memory. Um, it's really it's really a coin flip, you know. If I had to say, I mean, both pitching staffs are you know dominant. You have Kershaw against Glass now tonight on the hill, on the hill. That being said, I you know I really like what Kevin Cash is doing down in Tampa Bay. He's a you know one of the best managers in the game today, and I think if it came came to a game seven, um, his you know experience, um, just you know with this lineup would really prove you know prove to be the, I guess the final straw for the Dodgers. You know it's going to be unfortunate for them if they lose the World Series again. That would be three World Series losses in a span of four years. Um, but ultimately, like I said, I think Tampa is going to take this out in seven games. And if I had to predict a World Series MVP, I, I honestly think a Rosarena is going to continue his hot streak. He's going to take home the hardware. Tampa Bay brings home the first championship to Tampa in franchise history. Uh, and the Dodgers uh, continue their 30-plus uh, year dry spell without a title. It's so hard not to root for a team like Tampa here. you got a small market team. Uh, you had Garrett Cole has paid more than the entire Tampa Bay Rays starting lineup combined. And your Tampa in their first World Series since 2008 when they lost to the Phillies. Uh, Jordan, what are, you, what are your takes on this series? Actually, to break some news, we are in the bottom of the fourth inning with one out. And Cody Bellinger just homered off of uh, Tyler Glass now, former Pittsburgh Pirate. So, L.A. is actually up 2 nothing. Personally, if we're going off, if we're doing series predictions, I'm going to have to say Dodgers in six. Obviously, they're a favorite across the nation. I really love what Kevin Cash has done, exactly with Rosarena and... There's so many pieces. I forget who was interviewed. It might have been a Rosarena on MLB Network when he said, we're a really good collection of guys that nobody's ever heard of. He, I think he called them misfits even. But, you know, those misfits were good enough to be the best team in the American League. So they have an early 2 nothing deficit here in the fourth inning. But with Blake Snell pitching tomorrow with this lineup, 
is going to be a very tight series. I'm still giving the Dodgers the edge. It looks like it's probably going to be Dustin May against Blake Snell in Game 2, although the Dodgers have not confirmed their starter. Walker Bueller looks to take the ball in Game 3. I say Dodgers in 6, but should be a good one. It's crucial for Tampa Bay to be able to uh, to score or capitalize the runners in scoring position because they're not going to go shot for shot with the Dodgers in terms of the long ball. You know, you got Cody Bellinger, Mookie Betts, guys who can slug. And Tampa's not really known, at least throughout the regular season, was not really a team known for hitting the long ball. They got to capitalize runners in scoring position. They haven't done that well so far. And I mean, I think this, these early games, one and two, are crucial for them because you look at the Dodgers who just came back from down 3-1. Tampa blew a 3-1 lead. I mean, if you're Tampa and you find yourselves down 1-0, 2-0, I don't think there's any coming back from that. Yeah, Jack, I, I totally get your point. That being said, I think, you know, Tampa showed a lot of adversity. Of course, they blew the 3-0 lead, which was, you know, only done by the 0-4 Red Sox. But the fact that they were able to, able to regroup, you know, bounce back and pull off the win in Game 7 says a lot about them. And, you know, I feel like a lot of teams might have, you know, just sent it in and, you know, t- and took the loss. But, you know, they knew, hey, we still have one game left. And, you know, they um, they really showed adversity and some fight in their team. And I think that's a quality that's really, uh, really, um, really makes up the 2020 Tampa Bay Rays. Just a very gritty team. Like, like Jordan mentioned, not a lot of household names um at all really but um just you know a very a very hard fighting team from innings one to nine and you know i think it's going to be um going to be a hell of a series you look at i think most of the country is pulling for this team yeah and what i actually just want to piggyback off of something jack said about runners in scoring position tampa bay during the 2020 season averaged about 3.46 runners in scoring position per game and when you're going up against a pitching staff with Walker Bueller, Dustin May, and Clayton Kershaw, a three-headed ace monster, you cannot leave guys in scoring position. Obviously, Kenley Jensen has shown that he is human. He does make mistakes, but there's a good enough pitching staff where if you get guys on base, you need to drive them in. This team actually, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but this team, the Tampa team, reminds me of the Kansas City team back in 15 when they defeated the Mets four games to one. They're not really known for the long ball. They're kind of, you know, a bunch of guys making a name for themselves. They have speed. They have defense. They have pitching. What are your thoughts on that comparison? Yeah. Yes, the uh, 2013 Pirates. I think both are, you know, very great comparisons. You know, the 2013 Pirates, kind of a team that, you know, more or less came out of nowhere. Of course, they were one win away from advancing to the NLCS. Um ultimately fell short, unlike the 2015 Royals who won it all. Um, but I think, you know, those are just good examples of kind of under-the-radar teams of maybe, in you know, small market, small market clubs that, you know, fans nationwide didn't really see going anywhere. And I think people like to make jokes about how the Tampa Bay Rays have, you know, the worst fan base in the league. And while I'm not saying whether that's true or not, I think the team, I'm not talking about the fans, but the team itself is... They've is one of the best teams in the league, and they've really been slept on for the past decade. They've I think over the past I saw a stat recently over the past five or so years they have I think one of the best records in the American League besides the Yankees and Red Sox. But you know I feel like the average fan would not know that because they're just you know underrepresented as a small market small market ball club. Guys, you know what the scary thing is about this Dodgers team is throughout this postseason, Cody Bellinger has struggled for the most part. Mm -hmm. And they're finding themselves in the World Series. Kenley Jansen looked pretty bad against that uh, when he attempted to close out that Padres game. And the Dodgers can just turn to Julio Urias, who's who's showing to be great. But I think a big key for the Dodgers is Kenley Jansen is going to have to show that he can close out games in this World Series. I have faith in Kenley Jansen. Mm. I do as well. And and I, I I don't see the Rays winning this series. You know, it's, it seems like we've been talking about Jensen's greatness for so many years. I'm sure as many people know, he actually came up as a catcher through the minor league system, and then, and then he converted to a starting pitcher, and then eventually, like many reliever, like many failed starters, he moved to the back end of the bullpen, and he excelled. I see absolutely no reason not to trust Jensen. He obviously had a bad outing against Atlanta, but it's okay. I, I trust him. I trust the Dodgers. And one, another key for me – Another thing that sets apart Los Angeles from everybody else, I'm just looking at the lineup they have open for game one. You have Mookie Betts, Seager, Turner, Muncie, 
Will Smith, no, not that one. Cody Bellinger, Taylor, Jock Peterson, and Barnes is catching. That lineup is deep. Cody Bellinger is sixth in that batting order. Sixth. The Dodgers have so many guys who can get it done, it's unreal. They're leading in almost every major offensive category this entire postseason. That's something that stands out to me in particular. They're, no, they've showed they're, it. They're nine deep in the lineup, and there are few teams, maybe the Astros back when they were in it, there are few teams in this entire league that are actually deep with a full lineup of offensive weapons. Jordan, Jordan. And, and they showed it that the entire postseason. Jordan. Oh, you go ahead. Yeah, no, I just want to make a quick argument there. This is, you know, maybe going off topic, but I think, you know, one team, you know, we, we might be seeing with that one to nine deep lineup is the Mets next year. I mean, that's really a topic for another day, but you know, I think if you know with Steve Cohen coming in at the helm, I think you know if they make a couple splashes in free agency, uh, you know, putting that on top of their already you know lineup, their lineup now with Pete Alonso, Conforto, etc. I think they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. That being said, um, it, it is it is the World Series now, and the Mets are not the story right now. But just wanted to you know make that note. Of course, I mean we need a catcher and a center fielder, so Steve, please buy us something, but. Absolutely, but I think it's going to be a great series. Um, but yeah, we're all you know we're all very excited for the World Series, and um, so I think if when it comes down to it, I think I said Tampa Bay in seven. Jordan, what's your final call? Dodgers in six. And Jack, what about you? Yeah, I'm I'm saying the Dodgers have shown all postseason they can pick each other up when one may be struggling. I say Dodgers in five. Jordan has wow. Dodgers in six. Alex with the Rays in seven. That's bold. And. Any final thoughts on this series, boys, before we head on to uh, the NFL? Actually, Jack, I just want to make one really quick kind of irrelevant point. How does it make you feel that Tyler Glass now is on the bump, not pitching Game 1 of the World Series for the Pirates, but for Tampa Bay? Jordan, I, for those listeners who don't know out there, I'm a, I'm a Pirates fan, Pittsburgh fan, black and gold through and through, and uh, we're not going to talk about that. Right now, Jordan. Uh, people, you know, people know how I feel watching this postseason and this World Series. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to rig anything up. It, it seems like <laughs> the Pirates are the the farm system of every team in the majors except for the Pirates. You know who else is on the Pirates? Charlie Moore, who just closed out Game Seven. Crazy, yeah. Hey, so we're not going. to we're, so we're not going to. We're not going to talk I, about I, that. Jack, I think the one good thing you have going in favor for the Pirates is they have the number one pick coming up in the July draft. So hopefully they can get a uh, you know a real franchise player for the future there. Yeah, look, it all starts with draft picks. We saw it with the Nationals. We've seen it before. Absolutely, but yeah, like we said, going to be a great series. Um, I think you know, um, we'll, we'll we'll definitely you know discuss discuss more of baseball next week. We'll see if the series is over or if more games will be being played by that time. But I think um, you guys want to move on to some NFL. Um, obviously, lots happening around the league nowadays. Yeah, let's go for it. Cool, Jack. Uh, so I think J- um, Jack, you want to maybe start this off? Um, uh, I think you know a few you know big topics in the league nowadays. I think one of the you know the hottest topics that people are talking now is the NFC East, or shall I say, the NFC least. Um, the Dallas Cowboys are leading that division with a very very poor two and four record. Just for context, the Detroit Lions, you know my favorite team, who's you know they're probably an average team at best. So they're two and three. They would be winning the N- NFC East right now. Um, if they were in that division, um, what are your thoughts there, Jack? Um, you know, we we haven't seen a team with less than seven wins ever win the division, but you know, this could be the first year. It could be you know five five win team uh, coming out, coming into the playoffs. There, what do you think? Um, what do you think is going to happen there? You think you know, one of those you know four underperforming teams will pull it together? Or you think it'll be kind of a a a, a, a slow season throughout? You know, Alex, the uh, Steelers and Titans are 5-0, and along with the Seahawks. The Pats just lost at home to the Broncos, and you're talking about the NFC East. But I, <laughs> look, I, guess, I, guess, I, guess, I'll, uh, I guess I'll answer your question Jack, here. the NFC East I, is the most competitive conference in football. He's, he, let me talk about Jordan's the not East. wrong. It is the most get, competitive division. Let, let me talk about the NFC East. By definition. The, the Philadelphia Eagles are a walking hospital case. It, Daniel, Daniel Jones has shown that he is not the future of the Giants. The Cowboys' defense is Swiss cheese, and Washington's Washington. So 
I guess, look, I'll, I'll talk about the NFC East. I, I f- fully, fully healthy, the Philadelphia Eagles are the best team in the NFC East. But they're not. Hands down. So, so what do you but do not, from here? So I, I think the Eagles are going to get healthy. I think the Eagles win the division. I think can the, they, the though, Cow- Do you really think they can stay on the field? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, I do. They've shown that, you know, you got Travis Fulgham now stepping up. They almost beat Pittsburgh, almost beat Baltimore. We've just, we've just seen now without Dak Prescott how bad the Cowboys are. Uh, Dallas is done. They have no defense. Dalton is, is horrible. The Giants are horrible. The Re- Washington is horrible. The Eagles have shown us some potential. I mean, they have guys. You got Miles Sanders. I mean, unfortunately, he's now out for Thursday night. I mean, you have Zach Gertz. Who, you have the best quarterback in the division who hasn't played that great. But the Eagles have shown us some potential. I, I do think when all is said and done, when the Eagles get healthy, they win this division at 7-9. and nine. Yeah. But then you know what happened? You know what happens? The Eagles will be 7-9. and nine. They'll host a playoff game as the four seed and get crushed by the Packers. <laughs> Who are going to be the five? Hey Jack, you, you say that, and I I agree with you. That being said, the past two teams with below five hundred records to make the playoffs have both won their respective wild card games. It was the Panthers, and I think twenty sixteen or seventeen, and then the Seahawks who won the famous game against um the Saints with the Marshawn Lynch touchdown. That being said, I I obviously if the Packers play the Eagles, they would probably be at least a touchdown favorite even in Philly. But it's the playoffs, and anything can happen. I think the bigger issue is that. There's going to be a six and ten or seven and nine team in the playoffs, and that's just you know not a good look for the league. Well, look, we've seen it before, and it hasn't been too big of a harm. I mean, it, look, it, it kind of brings, I think it kind of brings viewers some, uh, some excitement. You see a seven and nine team, everybody's sleeping on. I mean, can they get the job done in the playoffs? We never know. True, true. I think it does bring some intrigue. Absolutely, but uh, like you said before, I think there are a lot more pressing issues in the league nowadays. You know, you mentioned. The Pats just got, you know, knocked off by Denver in a pretty massive upside in New England. Um, you have Kansas City, you know, who's rolling along, the defending champs. Baltimore is right up there with them. Seattle's undefeated. A lot of, you know, a lot of, you know, hot teams in the league right now. But then again, there are a couple of very surprising um, teams with zero or one losses. You have Tennessee, who's 5-0, and in the Bears. They really, they're a real surprise at 5-1 and this year. Obviously, people expected the Ravens and Chiefs. What do you what are you to make of a team like Tennessee? Excuse me. What are you to make of a team like Tennessee or even Chicago? Are there are there hot starts? You know, going to be continued, or do you think they'll kind of fall off the map as the season progresses? You look at a team like Tennessee, and my my biggest my biggest thing about Tennessee is I think they're the real deal. Some people don't. Some people do. I think they're the real deal. You look, they have a ground. They are led by a bulldozer in the backfield and Derrick Henry. I mean, that man can't be stopped. And now if you have Ryan Tannehill continuing to throw the ball well as well and play very three-dimensional, they're going to be a very hard team to beat. The only thing is sometimes the defense is a bit lax, like we saw against Houston. They allowed 36 points. I mean, almost lost the game, went to overtime. So there are times where we've seen this defense a little iffy. But if, if Derrick Henry can keep doing what he's doing, there's no reason to think he shouldn't. And if Tannehill can keep throwing the ball, you know, find A.J. Brown, that monster, day after day, Tennessee's a real hard team to beat. I, I agree, Jack. And I, I, I think, just to just interrupt for a second, Jordan, I really think Derrick Henry is going to make a serious case for MVP. I know quarterbacks typically win the award. But like you said, Derrick Henry is putting together a historical season from the running back position. If Tennessee can, you know, put together a 12, 13 win season and Henry keeps up his production, I think MVP is his to lose. Yeah, I could see that, Alex. I could definitely see that for sure. What were you going to say, Jordan, before? Hey, so let's discuss this. Who is going to win a game first? The New York Jets or the New York Knicks? Wow, that that is a good question. Um I personally actually Jack and I were just Jack and I were just discussing this earlier tonight. We were we were going over the Jets' uh, schedule um, just very quickly and looking at their you know next, I would say next ten men ten games so the remainder of the season. I don't see a winnable game. I think they have two games that are, could be close: one against the Miami Dolphins, one against the Cleveland Browns. Those are kind of close. Otherwise, they're playing teams like the Rams, the Seahawks, the Patriots, and Kansas City and Buffalo, to name just a few. 
I don't see a win on that schedule. Look, like that Cleveland game in particular is winnable, but that doesn't mean they're going to pull it out by uh, any means. They're the Jets. Absolutely. I mean, we've seen a team go 0-16 recently in the Browns from a couple years ago. Obviously, the Lions in 2008. So it's been done before. It's not unprecedented. That being said, if the Jets go... That being said, you say who will win a game first. Even if the Jets go 0-16, we have no idea when the NBA season will start. Will there be a season? Probably so. But will it start in December, January, February, March? No one has any idea. I mean... I would, I would, I would think well, that the Adam Knicks Silver are going to win. Said that he's going to hold the NBA draft in November. So, assuming the draft is in November, maybe they approve to play a season in January. Either way, there's probably going to be NBA basketball at some point before next NFL season. Oh yeah, definitely. That being said, I doesn't, I don't think that takes away from the point that the Jets will go. In my opinion, my humble opinion, I think the Jets will go 0 16. Sorry, New York Jets fans, just a tough year, but hey. If you come out with the number one pick and you can, you know, draft Trevor Lawrence from Clemson, who's really looking like the real deal down there for, um, in for the Clemson Tigers and the ACC, I think you know he could be the, he could maybe be the franchise, you know, corner. Excuse me, he could maybe be the franchise cornerstone to turn that team around. Obviously, they drafted Sam Darnold, and he was supposed to be the kind of the savior. That hasn't really panned out. Now, now they have. They have a uh, washed-up Joe Flacco, and, you know, he's kind of past his prime. If the Jets get Trevor Lawrence, you know, that, that could be good. He could really turn that team around. But who knows? If they put together a 2-3 win season, they may not even get the first pick. So it's all spe- speculation at this point. I've, I've, even, I've even heard rumors saying if the Jets go 0-16 and nab the first pick, Lawrence might even stay at Clemson to avoid going to the Jets. That, that would definitely be a uh, really interesting point. But, um... Obviously not their season. Hey, and for the other New York team, the Giants are looking, you know, barely better. They're probably going to win three or four games this year, which might might be good enough to win that. Might, I, might, I think the Giants are going to win two. Hey, they might win two games, but four or five wins might be enough to claim that NFC East title. But I think... Oh, it definitely will be. But yeah. I think... I, I, I think... I, I, I just guess. think... I, sorry, Jack, I just think regardless, you know, both teams, this is one of the worst years in New York professional sports. If, you know... It's not. I don't think it's debatable. Actually, Alex, you sort of introduced me into my next point. If you're the Jets and you end up getting the first pick, you cannot pass on Trevor Lawrence. What do you do with a Sam Darnold if he's still on your roster? Um, I would love to. I you know I as much as I think that Sam Darnold could turn his career around, he's been there for. I think two two seasons now. Is that correct? And the Jets look. The Jets put together a solid second half of the twenty nineteen season. I believe they won five or six of their last eight games, which is pretty good for that you know for that ball club. But this year has just been a disaster. Um, I I think you got to trade Arnold. I mean, I don't I don't think they I don't think they would bench him, but I think you got to trade him if they can get Lawrence. And you know you see so many time time and time again these star college quarterbacks. Phenomenal, and you know, in big time situations on the college level, and then go to the NFL, boom, they're bust. So there's no guarantee about Lawrence, but he does seem to be one of the most hyped up prospects in recent years. So again, there's no sure thing, but I think he is very close to a sure thing as one could be as a NFL prospect. Here's what I'll say about the Jets, guys. We know that yeah, the Jets are horrible. They're horrible, but. With that said, it is very hard, and I'm not ruling out the possibility. It is very hard to go 0 and 16. Whether it be dumb luck, you know, whether it be something else, the Jets will win a game. It might be against the Cleveland Browns, who the two, you know, they, they Cleveland has shown potential, like we just saw last Sunday, and against Baltimore, Baker Mayfield got pasted by those two defenses. I, you know, come the end of the season. Maybe the Jets rise up, win one game. I think they will go 1-15. I don't think they will go winless. With that being said, Trevor Lawrence, if he is a Jet, if he does come out of, if, if he does leave school, you know, barring the fact that the Jets have the number one pick, and decide to become a Jet, there are so many more issues. I mean, that's a start, but there are so many more issues with this team. Where, like, if you put Trevor Lawrence on the Jets, I don't think he wins more than four games with this roster. 
I agree, but what do you think it, Darnold can get? Do you trade him? Do you maybe try to get a third or fourth round pick out of him? This is a guy who is supposed I, to be a cornerstone. And now you have the potential to do the same thing in the draft two or three years later. Darnold's going to be a Pittsburgh Steeler next year. <laughs> did, 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 Darnold, Darnold's going to be a Pittsburgh Steeler. Big Ben has a year... T- He's got, a, he's got a year or two left. He was college teammates with Juju. They had a great connection. Juju just tweeted he wants him in Pittsburgh. Darnold will be a Pittsburgh Steeler. And if you throw Sam Darnold on the Pittsburgh Steelers with a good offensive line, good weapons, and a great defense, he wins 12 games. Jack, I, top 10. Jack I got to agree with you there. I think, sorry, Jordan, but I, I think if you bring back the Juju and Darnold connection, I think that would be, I don't want to say unstoppable, but let's just say he would be a lot better than he is in uh at MetLife right now. Sam Darnold, the raw talent and the potential that he has, I mean, he has no guys blocking for him. He has mm-hmm. no time, no receivers, no weapons. Just have a horrible defense. I mean, it's just a train wreck. I mean, Sam Darnold in Pittsburgh, that team will win 11 games. I agree. I want to go on the record saying this, by the way, about the Jets. If they win a game this season, it will be week 14 at Seattle. No, I think Judge right. Jordan. There's week fourteen at Seattle. I know there's... it's big, it's bold. That's what I got. Jordan, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb. This isn't really going out on a limb. I think the Seahawks will be seven, seventeen, eighteen point favorites in that game. Jack, I mean, do you agree? Yeah. I mean, they'll be fighting for a number one seed, and there's just no way the Jets can beat them. There's just no way the Jets can beat the Seahawks. The Seahawks will score 45 points, and the Jets can't score 10. Like, I think you made an excellent point about dumb luck, and I think it's right. If there's a matter of a one-game differential between getting the pick and not getting the pick, the Jets are probably going to pull what the Knicks do and ultimately squeak out a couple games at the end of the season. They don't intend to do it. It just happens. Against Cleveland, not against Seattle. I, that, That's a Super Bowl. That, 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 I know that. that. Is a good I, point. Think, I think the, the Jets are going to pull off a Week 14 this, miracle. This, not that it's going to matter for anything, but... That's the best team in the NFL. Jack, I, I, I think I brought up a good point though. I, I if they're gonna be, they're gonna be sixteen point favorites in cover. Are you gonna take the spread on that one if it's a sixteen point favorite? Oh yeah, I'm gonna smash that. I'm fighting for the number one seed as well. There's no way that it's thirty four to ten. Jack, or speaking of which, Jack, what do you, you want to go over your picks for next week's NFL? Sure, I'll get my uh, picks of the week. In Alex, case you guys didn't know, Jack here is a betting extraordinaire. Thank you, Jordan. Um, and and I, I just have a quick point to make. Um, this is more so about the following week. Um, just jumping ahead a bit, but um, we just talked about the line for the possible Jets Seahawks game. Jack, what do you think the line for the week eight game? So in a couple of weeks, Jets at Kansas City. What do you think the, the the betting spread will be there? Alex, Alex, Alex. Another Super Bowl contender. Probably the best team in the AFC. Well, second best team in the AFC behind the Steelers. But now, you, we know who the Chiefs just signed. Or, he's in Le'Veon Bell. And we, we, we know why he's signed with the Chiefs. He's washed. It's for that, for that specific matchup to torch the Jets. He's washed. So, I'm going to say uh, he's not washed. You put Le'Veon Bell in that offense, he's a 1,500-yard he's a 1500, a 1500 producer. So you think Le'Veon Bell was just in the wrong situation on the Ab- New York Jets? Ab- absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. He was absolutely. so good in Pittsburgh. don't think this is another I, I, case of a former Steeler kind of washed nope. out past his prime, like nope, Antonio Brown not at all. was? No? Not at all. Nope, not at but all. But going back to my question. So, Alex, I'm going to answer yeah. your question. I, I'm, I'm going to say, look, NFL spreads, anything more than 14 is big. We never really see it. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that's 13 and a half. Jack, I, I remember a game. I want to say, say five or six years ago, Denver was, you know, they, I think they had Peyton Manning. They were the best team in the league playing a very lowly Jacksonville club in Denver. The line was 27 and a half. Jacksonville covered, but they still lost by like 22 or so. In, in the NFL? Yeah, no, I, I was shocked. I, I'm going to look that up. I'm going to do some research later, but I remember the spread was above 25, and the Jacksonville did cover, but it was still a, a relatively non-competitive game. That being said, I think, you know... Look, whatever whatever the line is... Hello? What, whatever the line is in that game, the Chiefs are going to cover it. Yeah. That's all. And I, I think, and before moving on, I just want to say that Buffalo's... Buffalo is 
nine and I want to say they're nine and a half, ten point favorites on the road against the Jets. Buffalo is a good team, but if you put Kansas City at home, I think it's going to be at least like sixteen, seventeen points. I mean, we'll see what the better the you know the, the betting experts say, but regardless, it's going to be it's not going to be a close game. It could be. No, look now you now you got Buffalo off of uh actually no, I'll save it for my uh my picks of the weeks my p- picks of the week here. Sure, yeah, Jack. Uh, so, so um, yeah, you want to go I ahead and have, um, you know. Uh, I know we know you have some picks prepared. Um, you know you have one lock of the week, and then you have a few picks that you want to, you know, give your advice for. So let's see, let's hear what you got. All right, fellas. Well, for all you listening out there, we know the real reason. They're the only reason that a lot of a lot of sports fans watch sports, and those that's the, those are for the lines. You know, the betting, for the money. Uh, I'll actually tell a story. When I was at a uh, at a Steelers game against Baltimore, AFC Championship. They were seven and a half point favorites. They were up by two. And Joe Flacco dropped back and threw an interception to Troy Palomalu. And Troy Palomalu returned it to win by nine. Now the reason that stadium was going nuts is not because we clinched the Super Bowl berth, because the Steelers covered the spread. So anyway, I have three picks of the week here in the NFL. Number one, the Green Bay Packers, minus two and a half, against the Houston Texans. Now, we just saw Green Bay, guys. You guys saw that game. Aaron Rodgers played the worst game he's ever played in his entire life. They lost to the Bucs 38-10. He didn't have a touchdown pass. He had two interceptions. He was sacked what felt like 30 times. Now, I've never seen Aaron Rodgers perform that bad in back-to-back games. Houston's a dumpster fire. They're going to go into that stadium. Aaron Rodgers will toss five touchdowns. The Packers will win by 20 points. I love the Packers minus two and a half. So mark that down. Cheeseheads get back, get back in the win column, improve the five and one against Houston. Another pick I like is a team that, you know, people lost faith in this week. The Patriots with that home loss to the Broncos. 18 to 12, Cam Newton looked horrible. But what people, a lot of people don't know, guys, they had two only two days of practice. Their facility was shut down due to COVID. And now you got the Niners, you know, fresh off a big win against the Rams coming in, flying across the country. Jimmy G returns to Foxborough. And we remember when Bill Belichick took a lot of heat for getting rid of Jimmy G. And, you know, just remember when Robert Kraft wanted to keep Jimmy G, Belichick got rid of him, took a lot of heat. Yep. So Jimmy G is going to come across. He's going to come to Foxborough. And he's, he, Jimmy G's going to want to prove that, you know, you shouldn't have got rid of me. Belichick's going to be like, you know what? He's going to get his defense fired up. He's going to get Cam fired up. They're going to bounce back big. And Cam's going to show Jimmy G that he belongs in New England. And they should have got rid of Jimmy G. I think New England gets back in the win column, bounces back off a tough loss to Denver, and beats San Francisco minus two and a half in Foxborough. And then my last pick we were just touching, we were just talking about, actually, is the Bills. The Bills, these last two games, the game against the Titans looked horrible. They looked abysmal. 45-16. They come back, play the Chiefs. You lose to the Chiefs, it's okay. But back-to-back losses, and now you get the Jets. So I think the Bills come back very strong after losing two in a row. They look to look to stay atop the AFC East. I mean, you look at the Jets, just lost by 24 to the Dolphins, lost by 20 to the Cardinals. Minus 10.5 seems very little to me here. I like Buffalo minus 10.5 Jack, over the Jets. Jack, I got to agree with you there. I mean, I know I'm not the one making the picture, but that, you know, that would be my lock of the week. Um, would you say any of those games, or maybe even another game, is your lock of the week, or would you say um, you're kind of on the same page about all of them? All three of these are my locks of the week, New England, Green Bay, and Buffalo. Cool. Well, sounds good. Um, you know, it's going to be, uh, you know, another great week of football. Um, you know, so many storylines that we already discussed. I think one, one, one more, you know, storyline that just popped up today was uh, Tua, the new, uh, the new Dolphins quarterback, uh, obviously a star in Alabama, got injured last year towards ACL. You know, some questions leading into the NFL draft, gets picked fifth overall by the Dolphins, rides the bench behind Fitzpatrick uh, during the season thus far. And, you know, Dolphins are playing pretty well now. Uh, Tua gets the nod as a starter. You know, Dolphins, you know, could be a contender, not only for the wild card, maybe even for the NFC, uh, AFC East, rather. Um, you know, only a game or two back of the division lead. Uh, what do you guys think? Do you think, you know, Tua could be the reason, you know, that, uh, the Dolphins kind of, you know, make a, make a comeback this season? Not that they're playing poorly, but do you think that, you know, he could 
guess revamp their offense and maybe play better than uh, Fitzpatrick was. The, the Dolphins aren't a contender. I mean, they, they, they beat the Jets and they beat the Jaguars. And it, it, a, lot, a lot of people were surprised by the benching of Ryan Fitzpatrick and, you know, two is taken over now. Because Fitzpatrick, he's had the, he has the best QBR through the first six games of the season that he's ever had before. Like, he's looking good. He's playing well. But, like, he knew, in reality, Fitzpatrick was the placeholder. Tua was going to take over, and I guess the Dolphins agree that that time is now. You know, unless Fitzpatrick was an MVP frontrunner or the Dolphins were 6-0, like, it's Tua's time now. And I'm, I'm curious to see how he does. This team's not going to the playoffs, but I want to see how he does, you know, for the future. Because you look at Justin Herbert. The Dolphins have received criticism, guys. You know, with the fifth pick, they took Tua, and the Chargers took Herbert at six. And Herbert's looked great over there in L.A. Um... And people are saying, you know, did the Dolphins make the wrong pick? But I compare it to this. Let's say you're out to dinner. You order a chicken marsala. And the guy next to you gets a chicken parm. And the chicken parm is brought out first. And you look at it and you're like, oh, maybe I should have got that. And that's Justin Herbert. But you didn't receive your food yet. So, no, you don't know. Maybe it's as good. And that's what it's like, Justin Herbert versus Tua. So, in mean, these next couple of games, we're going to see if Tua... You know, is the future of the Miami Dolphins. They're not going to the playoffs, but I, I, I'm, I'm very curious to see you know, how he can do. He's got some nice weapons. He's got Preston Williams, Devontae Parker. He's got a good run game now with Miles Gaskin. It's a very up-and-coming team here in Miami, and you know, I, I'm can't, I can't wait to, to watch Tua in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I just got to say, I, you know, I agree with your you know, NFL perspective there, but I just got to say that analogy there about the Italian food is spot on. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate it. Anytime, anytime. Uh, let's see, you know, what, what, what are some other, you know, big news around the NFL now? I mean, we went over, you know, who's playing well, who's not playing well. What about some of those, I guess, middle ground teams who are maybe hovering around 500 who might be able to kind of make a push towards the playoffs? Well, guys, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a team that I think is a sleeper to many that will end up in the playoffs. Now, there's five playoff teams in the AFC, Alex. It, it's, it's, right now, it's the Steelers are a lock. It's the Ravens. It's the Bills. It's the Chiefs. And it's the Titans. And now, with the, the addition of, of that one extra playoff spot, there's seven teams now as opposed to six. Mm-hmm. You've got two spots. You've got two spots left. And I think the Oakland Raiders are a sleeper well, that are going to get into the playoffs. Excuse me, the Las Vegas Raiders. The, the, the loss, geez, that, that's going to take some getting used to for me. The Las Vegas Raiders will get into the playoffs, and, and it will be a sleeper. I mean, this is a team that they, they, they pounded the Saints. They beat the Chiefs. And the teams that you're competing against, they're going to be, you know, they're going to be the Browns, who have gotten, like I said before, pasted by the two good teams they have mm-hmm. played. I mean, you got the Colts. I, I like Oakland with Josh Jacobs, a good run game, you know, a good offense, tough team to stop. If Derek Carr can continue to play well like he did against the, the Chiefs, I mean, they control their own destiny. They, they play the Broncos, the Chargers. You beat those teams, and you shouldn't have to worry about anybody else taking your spot. I, I, absolutely. I think, I, I, think, I think the Raiders are a really great sleeper pick, too. I think that they really showed, they, they showed out in that game against the Saints where that was, I believe, that was week one or week two, and the Saints were pretty much heavy favorites, and the Raiders really showed they're the real deal. I, I think Derek Carr is going to be one of the best quarterbacks of the next five and ten years, and even though Kansas City is the, the dominant team in that division right now, don't don't count out Las Vegas um, you know, to maybe take control of that division in, in a couple of years. You know, Kansas City does have a mini-dynasty growing, but it's going to be more competitive than you know many people might think. Um, but yeah, I think you know Raiders are definitely a team to look out for there. Yeah, and you look at the teams they're competing against for the wild card spots. It's it's the Colts, it's the Dolphins who aren't going to make it. It's the Patriots, and you got the Broncos and the Chargers. And you look at the you can't fear the Browns until they beat a good team. The Colts have beaten the Vikings, the Bengals, and the Jets. I mean, Las Vegas has impressed me early on offensively. Their defense has to get a bit stronger, but I do like this team moving forward. Absolutely, and just I'm looking at the standings now. One team that I kind of didn't even realize was playing as well as they are, is the Indianapolis Colts. They're currently 4-2. and two. Um, They have a plus 42-point differential, so they're playing pretty well. Um, they had a pretty shocking Week 1 loss against the Jaguars, but um, recent games they beat the Bengals. They, beat the, they haven't really beat many good teams, honestly. I'm looking at the schedule now. They beat 
Minnesota, the Jets, the Bears, and the Bengals. That being said, they're still 4-2. Do you think they could maybe make a push for probably not the division, but maybe the wild card spot? I think absolutely that second wild card spot. I mean, I take the Raiders over them, but uh, the Colts have to show me more. I mean, like we said, they've beaten the Bengals, they've beaten the Jets, they've beaten Minnesota. It's a team with a good defense, but, you know, Phillip Rivers, you have to rely on him not to give the game away, which is sometimes be a very bad recipe. I mean, he's shown time and time again he can turn the ball over, and the Colts still have to prove a little bit more to me. But with that, seven teams in the playoffs now bodes very well. Absolutely. And um, I think, you know, before we move on to some college football talk, I know it's only week seven. We have so much of the season to go. But I was thinking of, you know, some early Super Bowl picks. And um, I don't know about you guys, but if I had to make a pick right now, I think I would have Seattle beating, um, I think, Seattle over Baltimore. Going into the season, I had Baltimore winning over Dallas. And, you know, that's clearly not going to happen, at least for Dallas. Um, I still like Baltimore, but I Seattle's just you know executing on all levels. Russell Wilson MVP favorite, and I think this yeah I think this is Seattle's year. I know they won um, around five or six years ago, but I just think Russell Wilson this could be one of the, this could be the best season of his career, and I just I think Baltimore will get to the Super Bowl, but I think they'll ultimately fall up short once again. What are you guys you know again I know it's early, but what are your picks for the Super Bowl in February? Look, I really hate to say it, but does anybody out there think that uh, that Kansas City is not going to win the Super Bowl? Yeah. I mean, I don't usually like to jump on bandwagon teams. However, this is you mentioned it before. This is a mini dynasty budding. Kansas City has shown extreme vulnerability, though. They, they, they have some competition this year. I mean, Oakland, Las Vegas dropped 40 on them. Their defense isn't that great. Buffalo hung right in there with them. There's other contenders. You got the 5-0 and Steelers, 5-0 and Titans. You got the Ravens. And Kansas City is nowhere near a lock to the Super Bowl. Obviously one of the favorites, nowhere near a lock. And let, bring, bring up your point about the Seahawks, Alex. I think it's the most dynamic offense in football with Lockett, Metcalf, Russ having an MVP year. You got a decent run game. I mean, but the air rate is just phenomenal. It, it's a team with a, with a poor defense. We, we, saw, we saw Dallas drop 30-plus on them. New England was one yard away from beating them, and New England's 2-3. and three. I think it, I, I'd be more confident with my defense to make a postseason run. You know, a, a team like, a team, unbiasedly, a team like Pittsburgh. Yeah, no, I, I think Seattle's a contender, but I think, you know, I think a Pittsburgh-Seattle Super Bowl is well within the realm of possibility, too. Um, that, 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 that would really be a throwback to... I believe 2005 when Jerome Bettis, is that correct? He won MVP when they beat Sean Alexander and the Seahawks. Yeah. So, yeah, so that, it's always cool to see a Super Bowl rematch from a previous year. And I think, you know, just based on the nature of those two teams this season, they're, pro- they're, they're probably, you know, 1-2, if not, you know, 2-3 in the NFL this year. I think that would be a phenomenal matchup. Um, but, yeah, and, and before we move on, um, you know, just a little bit of college football. Uh, any more, you know, points that we want to you know, go over about the NFL? Actually, I know this is not NFL-related, but I feel like we should give a live World Series update here. Since it's happening in real time, we should probably update it. Dodgers now took a 4-1 to lead over Tampa in the fifth after Kevin Kiermeyer hit an absolute moonshot off of Tyler Glass now. Muncie reached on a fielder's choice, and Will Smith, once again, not that Will Smith, drove in Muncie. So it is now 4-1 to in the fifth as the Dodgers look to seal game one. I love L.A., to quote the uh, great Randy Newman song. Hey. I might have to hop on the bandwagon. Dodgers in five. Guys, guys, I, 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 I'm sorry. I, I, you know, I, I made the prediction about in 45 minutes an hour ago. I'm going to stick with it. I know it's, you know, Tampa's losing currently in game one, but Tampa in seven, and I'm going to stick to it until, until they win or lose. So there it is. I like it. Oh, you gotta you gotta stick to your guns, Alex. You can't you can't split. You gotta stick to it. Stick to your guns. Yeah, it's four to one now. But what happens it's, when Jansen comes in and and the game ties up? Yeah. So like we mentioned, some big games coming up in the NFL this week, and we're really excited to you know to talk next week about kind of see how Jack's predictions went and you know touch on the next few games. Guys, one final point about the NFL before we go to college is uh the uh, San Francisco 49ers, a team that just lost to the Dolphins by 30 points. 
and a team that a lot of people were sleeping on after that. Don't count out the reigning NFC champ, San Francisco 49ers. Just beat the Rams 24-16. Jimmy G looked good. He had 238 yards, three touchdowns. George Kittle, the rookie Brandon Ayuk, and Debo Samuel all found the end zone. Their defense flustered Jared Goff. And don't sleep on San Francisco here, the reigning NFC champions. Mic drop. Absolutely. Well, Jack, we Jack and Jordan, we always appreciate. Well said. We always appreciate your NFL insight. Um, I think you know we're going to tra- transition over now just to a little bit of college football talk. Um, this is one of the crazier you know college football seasons in rec- in recent memory, if not ever, because all the conferences starting weekends are all staggered because of the COVID pandemic. We had the SEC start mid September. We had the ACC start early September. Meanwhile, the Big Ten hasn't even started yet. They start this weekend, and the Pac-12 starts early, early November. So I think the big question for the season is, will a team like Ohio State, who's playing only seven or so games this year, even if they go 7-0, and will the fact that they're playing a few less games than someone like Alabama and Georgia and Clemson, will that hurt their chances in the playoff? Or do you think the committee will kind of be understanding, uh, in a sense, and not judge teams? Team- and not judge teams based on the number of games played, but solely based on, you know, the quality of a team like Ohio State, which is probably going to, you know, dominate the Big Ten as always. It won't hurt them in terms of shortening the schedule, just, you know, flat out just shortening the schedule, but more of, of the effects of the loss of quality opponents on their schedule. You know, they play in eight games. I mean, they play one team that I consider to be a, a very good team. I mean, they play Penn State, that's about it. I mean, then you got, you have Indiana, you have Michigan State, I mean, you have, you have Rutgers, you have Maryland. I think Ohio State really has to impress us this year with the eye test, and by that, I mean, you gotta go out and you gotta beat these cream puffs by a lot of points. I mean, if, if you beat Penn State and you beat all these guys by a lot of points, and then you win the Big Ten championship against a team like Minnesota or Wisconsin, you're in. If Ohio State goes 8-0, wins the Big Ten championship, you're in. But I think you've got to beat most of these teams by a lot. I mean, if, 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 you beat, if you beat Maryland by 14, if you beat Rutgers by 14, that's not a good look, especially with a, with a shortened schedule. But if you go out and take care of business big against these guys, you know, Nebraska this week, you beat Penn State, you finish undefeated, and you win the Big Ten championship, Ohio State's in. Nothing to worry about. I mean, you got Justin Fields. We know what they can do. The committee's all about putting the, the four best teams in at the end of the year. Not the four most qualified, but the four best. And everybody and their mother knows Ohio State is one of the four best teams. In Absolutely. The and I think, you know, one of the really interesting points about this 2020 campaign is that because you have staggered, you know, start weekends, you have teams that are normally not ranked, or at least not ranked high, that are really climbing up the rankings. We Recently saw this example with the University of North Carolina. They were ranked fifth. I'm not saying they're a bad team, but I feel like if you had Penn State, Ohio State, Oregon, and the usual you know, powerhouses playing a normal schedule, you wouldn't see UNC that high. On the, bottom of the, uh, on the bottom end of the rankings, we have teams like the Marshall Thundering Herd and the Coastal Carolina who are ranked 22 and 25 from, from uh, G5 conferences. Again, not, our, not only are they not you know, Power 5 teams, they're teams that have never even been in contention. I'm not saying they're even close to playoff contention, but even to see their names within the ranks is very surprising. Um, but again, by the end of the season, I think I think this chaos will kind of settle down, and, and you'll see the normal powerhouses stat at the top. But I think that, that that is just another component of this weird, weird season. That is kind of nice, you know, kind of nice for a change to see these kind of underdogs kind of you know be recognized for once in a while. Oh, no, it's awesome to see them in the rankings for sure, and it's cool to see Coastal Carolina in there. I mean, another point about a team like Ohio State is one, one worry for them is, again, they should be fine. A worry for them is a team like Notre Dame. You know, if you're Ohio State, you got to hope Clemson and Alabama and those guys just finish everybody off. Clemson plays at Notre Dame in a couple of weeks. It's number one versus number three, and I think Clemson beats them. But it's a game they can stumble. If Notre Dame were to beat Clemson, and then let's say, let's say Clemson gets them back in the, in the ACC championship game. I think both of those guys are in. Yeah, and then Ohio State's, you know, hoping they're fighting for that fourth spot. So, I mean, if you're Ohio State, you've got to root for Clemson and Bama and all these guys up top to wipe teams like Notre Dame out. 
And if Notre Dame beats Clemson, that's not good for a team like Ohio State. Uh, absolutely. I mean, when it's all said and done, I think I know Clemson, you know, they really faltered against Bama last year, but they've looked unstoppable. I mean, come on, they're 73-7 win over Georgia Tech. I know Tech's not that great, but it's incredible. They beat an ACC team by 60, 60 plus points. I think I, I oh yeah look I don't I don't think I think the championship is going to be for what the the seventh consecutive year or something like that. No, it's probably the third or probably three times in four years, four and five years. It's going to be Clemson, Bam again. I think Clemson is going to come out on top here. Yeah, I don't think there's there's any way that Notre Dame will beat Clemson. I mean, I, you have a top fifteen NFL court. This guy will be shredding NFL defenses, and he's playing in college. And he's not even the best offensive player in the field. Travis Etienne is the best offensive player on the field. I mean, this team is just so, so, so dynamic. And if you're Ohio State, though, you've got to root for him the whole way. Just wipe out everybody Absolutely. else. Absolutely. Jordan, I actually have a question for you here. Um, not necessarily about Division One college football, but moving down to um, the school we all went to, Muhlenberg. Um, as many of you may or may not know, Muhlenberg had a, you know, one of the best seasons in Division Three last year. They were ranked number four in the country, made it all the way to the Final Four where they lost – to eventual eventual national champion North Central. Um, that being said, uh, the Muhlenberg season was canceled this year um, due to the pandemic. How do you think a team like that, you know, one of the best teams in the country for D three, having an entire season canceled? Um, how do you think they'll bounce back next season? Um, you know, with you know the seniors graduating, how do you think an entire program bounces back from an entire canceled season? Oh, I think they'll bounce back strong. Now, one thing to note, actually, is Division Three announced that some of the athletics, some of the fall athletics might play championships in the spring. I know they said football was excluded from them, so more than likely there will not be any Division Three football until minimum fall of 21, but it's not a given. However, assuming that is the reality, a school like Muhlenberg, especially over the last four years since since I started my freshman year, Muhlenberg had a good football program, but it was not by any means a powerhouse. Now you talk about Muhlenberg like a powerhouse. Most high school football, especially in northern New Jersey where Jack and I reside, know Muhlenberg well because we are a powerhouse Division three school. They've done an excellent job recruiting lately. I know they have a very strong freshman class who – although may not take the field this year, will certainly propel Muhlenberg into success next year. Overall, just a very, very strong recruiting class. Hey, so this podcast has been great talking to you guys, but I think we're going to have to wrap it up at some point. I just want to give one super quick World Series update. So it is now 6-1 to one in the sixth inning, and Kershaw is pitching a gem. For all the haters who said he can't pitch in the postseason, he's given up two hits through six with eight Ks. I mean, he is a four-time Cy Young winner. What do you guys think this is doing for his postseason legacy? Oh, I mean, it's, 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 it's extreme. I mean, we all know the Clayton Kershaw story. He's one of the best pitchers of all time. I think he's, he's 175 and 76 in the regular season. Three Cy Young awards. In the postseason, we know what he's, he's 11 and 12, 4.3 ERA. But, I mean, for this is really his biggest criticism is obviously we all know it was his lack of postseason success. I just feel like at this point, it's just a cherry on top, icing on the cake. If, if he can pitch well here and, and you know, lead the Dodgers to, to a World Series. Jordan Jack, I really have to agree with you guys there. I think even though Kershaw has struggled in the playoffs, I think, it, I think it's kind of talked about a little bit too much. He's still been a decent playoff pitcher. Not great, but definitely not like awful either. That being said, this performance today, game one of the World Series, to start the Dodgers off on the right note is huge for not only for the Dodgers, you know, season chances, but just for his legacy as one of the best of all time. Uh, I saw a poll today on Twitter that was polling who was the best lefty pitcher of all time, and the options were Randy Johnson, Lefty Grover, Clayton Kershaw, and Randy Johnson had the overwhelming majority of votes, but Clayton Kershaw, as good as he is, I think he really is in consideration as being one of the best lefty pitchers in baseball history. Yes, and keep in mind, this is just a Twitter poll, so there's, you know, there's many different answers, but I think Clint Kershaw is one of the best pitchers ever, and as good as, has, as, good as his stats and you know, Cy Youngs have been, to put a World Series ring on top of that would be like the icing on the cake for him. Look, to put it bluntly, Kershaw has accomplished anything that any pitcher can dream of. This really would be the icing on the cake. I would say this is probably his 
his destiny that he needs to fulfill. This is his unfinished business. He's already been to the World Series with the Dodgers twice. Obviously, he lost Game 5 of the NLDS last year when he gave up homers to, I believe it was Soto and Rendon, when he came in in relief. So, people remember him for that. People know him as a choke artist. Let's be honest here. He's a debatable top 10 pitcher of all time. Everybody knows that he's a future Hall of Famer, and this he's just moving one step closer to achieving destiny, in my opinion, which is finally getting that much-deserved ring to bring it home for the Dodgers. And I think he's going to do it this year. Alex, I, I disagree with you with saying those lefty pitchers, and the best lefty pitcher of all time is right here in this podcast with us. Jordan Leopold, obviously. His name begins with a J. It's not me. Much appreciated, guys. In all seriousness, I mean, at this point in the guy's career, I mean, greatness is really no longer for the Dodgers to win. But if Kershaw is great, the Dodgers will not be beat. I mean, I mean, simple as that. I just want to reiterate what Jack was saying. You know, Jordan is a phenomenal pitcher for the Muhlenberg baseball team, and it's very unfortunate that the season was cut short. But we're all very excited to see what he can do on the mound. Hopefully, this spring, and if not, possibly next year. Jordan, we're wishing you all the best, and we know you're going to have a great season. Yeah, thanks, guys. It really sucks that Division Three isn't playing anything. Hopefully, we'll play in the spring, but that's a discussion for another day to be continued. Boys, any last points before we uh, head out here? Uh, yeah, of course, guys. Uh, thank you, Jordan, for the little uh, outro there. Before we head out, I mean, our last topic was college football. And, and a, fun, a funny stat here, guys, is last year the uh, Alabama-LSU game had 16 million viewers, and that was – about 10 million viewers more than the NBA Finals this year. So, I mean, college football to a lot of people is the center of the sports world. And we're going to have a lot of listeners to this Touch Em All podcast who like to throw some money down. So I'm just going to give a couple of college football picks. You know, Alex, I know know you've gotten more into the gambling lately as well. I'm going to throw down some picks here, and uh, we'll call it a day. Two juicy ones. We'll start uh, with the Boston College Eagles, guys. Boston College is minus two and a half against Georgia Tech. Now, Boston College just lost a 40-14 to game to Virginia Tech down in Blacksburg at Lane Stadium. But what many people don't know who didn't watch that game, they turned the ball over four times in Virginia Tech territory. This is a good offense that Boston College has. You know, Phil Jerkovich has looked good. If he can limit some mistakes, he's a good quarterback. You got, a, you got an All-American tight end. You got a good offense. You got, you got Georgia Tech, who just lost by 70 points. Boston College minus 2.5 in this one. And then I'll move on, stay in the ACC. Pitt is 11.5-point underdogs to Notre Dame. I like Pitt to cover that. Notre Dame has not covered once all season. They're looking ahead to Clemson the following week. Pitt's going to come out, play well at home in Heinz Field, and cover 11.5. I like Boston College, and I like Pitt. Jack, I know you've just made two picks here, but there's one more game that's just really been on my mind lately, and I was very shocked to see the line at first. Syracuse is playing Clemson. You probably figure, oh, that's probably a pretty big pretty big spread. It is 45.5 points, or maybe 44.5. That is a, over a six-touchdown spread. Keep in mind, Clemson did beat Georgia Tech by over 60 points last week. But do you think Clemson can, um, you know, sorry, do you think Clemson can create that success again and win by 40-plus points against an ACC foe? Oh, they, they definitely could, Alex, for sure. I have no doubt. It's not a game I'm going to touch because I, I, I don't have the guts to cover a uh, to take a 44-point spread. Syrac- I'm not going to take Syracuse because Clemson could win 70 to nothing. But it's not a game that I'm going to touch just because I don't like to take spreads that big. But to answer your question, yes, I, I could see him winning 59-7, which would cover. But it's not a game I'm going to touch because I don't have the guts to take 44. Yeah, I, I got to agree with you there. I think it's just the, it's, a, it's a crazy spread, and you, you probably see that once or twice a college football season. Um, but, you know, just regarding college football overall, there's a couple closing words, and I'm really excited. You know, we got almost all the major conferences back. Obviously, we talked about the Big Ten and the Pac-12 coming back. And you know, it'll finally feel like, you know, somewhat of a normal season again at least for the, for the next month or two. And then, as, you know, as soon as we know it, it'll be the, play, uh, the playoff time. And, you know, my guess is it'll be the same four teams. It'll probably be the likes of Clemson, Georgia, Alabama, and Ohio State. 
That being said, you know, there could be a surprise team sneak in there, and I'm very excited to see how the rest of the season shapes out. That being said, boys, and I'm very excited about the podcast and to see where this podcast goes. As we talked about in the beginning, it's been almost two years, maybe a year and a half since we were last on air at Muhlenberg College. Um, so we've, you know, we all, we, we've all come a long way since there. I've since graduated from, from the college. Jordan uh, is now a senior at Muhlenberg, and Jack, as he said, is a senior at Marist College up in Poughkeepsie. Um, but, you know, over this quarantine, we have been talking for the past, you know, five, six months about really getting this podcast back on the air. And we're very excited to say finally on October 20th, we, we were back on the air. Super exciting time. We're excited for what's to come. Um, anyway, Jordan, Jack, this is me signing off, and I'll talk to you next time. Yeah, thank you guys. I really had a good time tonight. Uh, for listeners out there, keep tuning in once a week. We're going to be consistent here with, with uh, Touch Em All, and it's a good first episode. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. First time we've done this in about two years. But, uh, you know, you can listen to us on Anchor.fm, on Spotify, on Apple Music. We're all over the place. So be sure to tune in next week, and thank you for listening.